In August of 1971, the British blues rock band 10 Years After released their album The Space and Time. The lead single would come out just a few months later, called I'd Love to Change the World. In an interview published in Rock and Folk magazine in September 2008, Alvin Lee was asked about his beliefs and mindset when he wrote that song. The interviewer asked him a series of questions. Do you realize I'd Love to Change the World has turned into a peace anthem these days? The peace sign was on your guitar. Were you into that make love, not war thing? Had it anything to do with the fact that you were playing the USA a lot at a time when the anti-war thing was going on? And Alvin Lee's response was, yes, yes, and yes. I was totally involved in all that and very frustrated that I could not do anything about it. Hence the words, I'd love to change the world, but I don't know what to do. So I leave it up to you. And best of luck. I'm not sure when it started for me, but certainly at some point very young, I had that feeling too. I wanted to change the world. And knowing what I know about the explorers who listen to this podcast, I bet most of you did too. We all wanted to leave our positive mark on the world. But as I've experienced more and the world has evolved as it has, or de-evolved depending on your perspective, sometimes I feel a little less like that optimistic young man and a little more like Alvin Lee did when he wrote that song. Look, it's not a hot take to say that the world has got a lot of problems right now. And many of them are complex. For me, especially over the last year, all of it together can sometimes feel overwhelming. It's hard to think about anything else or see anything else except massive mountains that I feel like can't be moved. But I'm done with that feeling. As the saying goes, slightly paraphrased, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. And I don't feel like any of us explorers, anyone who listens to this show, is interested in doing nothing. So in this episode, we're going to tackle that little question. How do we change the world? Or at least make a significant dent in it. Welcome to Where There's Smoke, the show where we explore self-development through the lens of current events, pop culture, and experience. This week, we try to answer Alvin Lee's question of what to do to change the world. Joining us on that exploration is author and innovator, Nilifer Merchant, plus digs, a bump, and some other surprises. My name is Brett Gaida. The other dude is Nick Jaworski. Yo. Let's start the show. So I coined the word loneliness back in 2011, 2012. And at the time, I was just trying to capture this economic shift that was happening. You know, I'm an innovation guru, right? So here I am watching the industry and noticing, oh, my gosh, value creation has shifted from organization-centric models and capital-centric models to idea-centric models. 
And I'm like, if ideas are the thing that are going to fuel the next generation of innovation, then ideas can and should and can come from anyone. And so what is that thing? That audio is from a recent conversation I had with Nilifer Merchant before her talk at the Rotman School in Toronto. Nilifer has enormous credibility in the business world, having personally launched more than 100 products, netting $18 billion in sales. She has held executive positions at Fortune 500 companies like Apple and Autodesk, as well as startups in the early days of the web. She's been called a visionary, and according to her bio on her website, she is an unfortunate addict of caffeine, poetry, dark chocolate-covered orange peels that are best eaten in France, and all things bacon. Oh, bacon. But what has always drawn me to Nilifer and her work is that I find her to be a genuinely curious, intelligent, insightful, and spiritual person who believes in the power of people, all people, to change the world through the uniqueness of who they are. Her new book is entitled The Power of Onlyness, Make Your Wild Ideas Mighty Enough to Dent the World. And in it, she writes, quote, I believe that at the very root of our humanity is a passion to create value with heart, to work alongside others who care, and to make a difference. I believe that each of us has something of value to offer, all 7.5 billion of us. While not everyone will, everyone can. Let's go back to that title, The Power of Onlyness. Onlyness is a noun, a term coined by Nilifer that describes an economic phenomena happening right now around how we will create value and solve the problems facing our world today. For clarity, Nilifer writes in her book, Onlyness does not represent more of you. It is not, as some might assume, a suffix of ness added to the base word only to make a new word that puts emphasis on you. The ness is a circumflex, an accent to the only. It is connectedness. It's two nouns combined to elicit a prescribed response. Roadhouse. You, joined with others, are powerful enough to turn even wild ideas into new realities. So, onlyness, each of us stands in a spot in the world only you stand in a function of your history and experience, visions and hopes. From that place is how all value creation has always happened. The problem is, though, a bunch of our onlys could be because you're young, could be because you're a person of color, could be because you're a woman. There's all sorts of reasons why people are dismissed. So a whole bunch of our onlys have been dismissed. And I was basically arguing in a platform world where you can be a little bit more agnostic to the idea and not the person who delivers that idea, could you actually find a way to scale really novel Ideas. So that was the idea, onlyness. Let me re-say that. Could you, yes, you, find a way to scale your really novel ideas? Could all of us? Nilifer spoke to over 300 people in the last four years who did just that. People of all shapes, sizes, colors, backgrounds, positions, and nationalities. At a recent event in Milwaukee, Nilifer illustrated the three important phases of onlyness by using her arms and hands to reenact the growth of a tree. First come the roots, your sense of self bursting up from the ground to form a trunk. This is claiming your idea. Then 
come the branches. Your idea spreading to your immediate community of like minds. And finally, the leaves and fruit, the galvanization and the virality of the idea. Now on the face, those three phases may seem very doable, even easy to some. But for many, there are a lot of barriers. Claiming your idea, owning it, requires a strong level of self-awareness, self-acceptance, and self-love. As Nilifer writes in her book, you must, quote, value your full self, even parts that others may disparage. And for many of us, this requires tremendous courage because you are doing this against the wind in the face of surroundings that do not feel safe. 61% of us uh, belong in some hobbled kind of way. And that statistic just, it was the, the question was, um, do you cover yourself and your ideas? Uh, and 61% of all people said yes. And the surprising statistic behind that one, by the way, was that 45% of straight white men do. And so that tells you the global sense of how big of a problem this is. This isn't just about... So rephrase that. I'm not sure if I understand what you mean. Sure. Do you cover your... What did you say? Cover yourself, meaning uh, it's, the, it's the guy who doesn't want to say he cares about his family because uh, he doesn't want his coworkers to think he's not committed to his job. Right. Uh, so he ends up sort of dampening down a lot of his enthusiasm for the things he's actually really passionate about um, because he's afraid he'll be judged, right, in this patriarchal world that says men are supposed to show up and only care about their careers. So when I did the double click down on the research and saw, because, you know, you'd expect certain groups to to show up really highly in that number, let's say uh, those with a uh, non-heterosexual sexual orientation, right, where might might show up high. but And those were all true, but it was that it affected all of us, it's such a big, staggering number, uh, really showed me the magnitude of the problem. And then, even if you muster the courage and conviction to fully express your idea, to not cover it, those surroundings, the people in power, well, they're often not interested in your ideas. No, thank you. For some, that is due to arrogance, greed, or prejudice, but many just don't even realize how blinded they are by their environment and beliefs. Here is Nilifer speaking to this on the Good Life Project podcast. It's how power has worked for a long time. And power affects our ability to actually have an idea. This relationship of who do we expect to come up with brilliance? Who do we expect to have novel and fresh ideas? We often look to people who already have authority or who already have title, who already have status. And so it is often in the face of internal and external resistance which is trying to paralyze us, that we must act. In his TED Talk, Where Good Ideas Come From, author and innovator Stephen Johnson describes an idea almost like a seedling in your brain. Inside your brain, an idea, a new idea, is a new network of neurons firing in sync with each other inside your brain. It's a new configuration that is never formed before, right? And the question is, how do you get your brain into environments where these new networks are going to be more likely to form? And it turns out that, in fact... In essence, what Stephen Johnson says, both in his talk and book of the same name, is that for that seedling of an idea to blossom into something more substantial, it has to connect to other ideas. You need to take it out in fertile soil, places with like-minded people, and socialize it. It was a space where people would get together from different backgrounds, different fields of expertise, and share. It was a space, as Matt Ridley talked about, where ideas could have sex, right? This was their conjugal bed, in a sense. Ideas would get together there. The process he is talking about, it was pivotal 
to the creation of this very podcast that you are listening to right now. And everything Nick and I have done through the show over the past few years. Oh, hey, I heard my name. The, what, what, what are we talking about here? What, are we talking about anything important? Are we talking about anything? <laughs> hey, Nick. Yeah, we, we, your ears are burning, were they? Yeah, I just, I, just, um, I was hearing the edit. And I heard yeah, my name. No, I just I'm just, I, I mean, you know this. I'm, I'm just telling the origin story of where there's smoke. Oh, you mean the story where we talked on the phone and then we both had this great idea and it just came out of nowhere and then um, we just made it like that story? I think um, everyone knows that story. Well... Uh, you worded it a little weird, but I mean, I think everyone knows kind of how I found you and everything that happened after that. But I'm actually talking about the initial seed of the idea, which was like, I mean, almost two years before I even met you, Nick. All right, go on. So the initial seed of the idea for Where There's Smoke was a television show because I first had the idea while I was watching The Daily Show. And I thought, well, what if The Daily Show was about self-development? So for about a year, I, I just sat on this idea. I told no one because I was like, well, I don't know how to make a TV show. And then in 2013, I was at events and I, I just started telling people that I had this idea because I, I wanted to see if it would resonate. And during that time, I was actually socializing a few different ideas. I would tell people different things. And then I started running into some of those same people again months later. And the one thing that was often repeated back to me was, oh, hey, you're the where there's smoke guy. And so that gave me a little bit of fuel. Though it was still probably another four months before I actually decided, wait a second, this could be a podcast. And that's when we talked? Uh, not, not quite. I mean, the truth of it is at that point, Nick, I thought, well, that's not much better because it sounded cheaper, but I didn't know anything about audio production, editing, or anything about making a podcast. For okay, well, for the record, I'd, don't either. So don't tell anybody. <laughs> I'm just making this up. Faking it till you make it. And so far, so good. So I sat on the idea for another six months. But at least now, I was talking about it. And eventually, I decided to stop thinking about all the reasons why I couldn't do it and just deal with the next problem in front of me. And that problem was that I needed a partner to do the audio work for the show. And so I took a couple actions, and those actions led me... To a phone call with Nick. Okay, so I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that happened. I was there, okay. And then from there, you know, a bunch of crazy coincidences, fate, whatever you want to call it. I live in it. your place in San yeah, Francisco. We all, all we've heard kinds of, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that led us to being able to make this show happen over the last two plus years. But so I had the initial Where There's Smoke idea for at least a year before I even spoke about it. And then I let it out to play. And it was only then that it could grow, get stronger, and become something real outside of my head. Well, I think the piece that you're talking about is how do you start to pull on a thread that pulls you into the larger fabric? And so sometimes I think when we think about pulling on a thread, we think, I'll pull on it and I'll end up with nothing, right? And actually, it's it's almost, I have this picture, it's a, it's a line that I feel like it's Rumi. And in fact, in the, in the book, I actually footnote it, like, I think this is Rumi that I'm quoting, but I honestly can't trace it. But the line, the way I remember it, is um, it's as if you see a thread that only you see. And when you pull on it, instead of the world unraveling at your feet, you find yourself deeply connected to it. Now, I closed my eyes when I, when I said that because I can remember the passage. 
and but I can't find the passage. Mm-hmm. And so part of me is like, did I make that up? Like, is it my own form of poetry in my own head? And I don't know. And I, I hope someday when somebody will help me, you know, like lend some light on that. Um, but I'll tell you what it is, is that I think we're scared sometimes to act because we think, what if we go out there and we won't know? Or what if we act and we'll sound stupid? And But in all the 300 stories that I got through this research, which was so educational, every person would start the story, and let's say there's a scale of zero to 10, and 10 being like where big outcome happened in the marketplace kind of thing, because right? I didn't choose anyone that didn't wasn't able to express the onlyness part. Um, and I started them in the story, and I said, okay, tell me from where it started. And they would start, and I'd be like, hmm, that feels, and, and now if I gave you the scale, like it was a three or four, and I'd kind of nudge them back and nudge them back and nudge them back. And they would do what you just finished telling them, which is it was rattling around in my head for a while, and then I, I did this one micro thing that didn't really look like a lot, but I started talking about it. And then I started, and and what they mostly do is they airbrush that part of the story out. And they're not really trying to do that. They're really not. They're mo- waiting for a moment where there's momentum, where they could show the outside world, this is where the story started. And the reality is the internal journey from like zero to four, zero to three, whatever that measure is, is actually the steps of claiming their idea, starting to find their community, and starting to, through micro actions, move towards the goal. There is an old riddle that says, five frogs are sitting on a log and one decides to jump. How many frogs are now sitting on the log? The answer, still five. Because deciding to do something and acting are not the same thing. And so we must act on our ideas for onlyness to be able to thrive. But that doesn't mean the answer is to just go do it. All those speakers or authors who have told you just to go do it, you know, to have more confidence or show more grit, They're telling you a secondary message. They're telling you a message when you already belong to society. But for the vast majority of us, people of color, women, young people, old people, just by the demographics alone, although there's more psychographics you could point to, a lot of us don't have a foothold in society where we actually feel like we belong. And so the thing I would want to teach them by the work I've been doing is find those people that you can take those risks with who have your back and all of a sudden you'll have all the courage and confidence you actually need. You're not missing it. You're just not able to get to it because of this other preceding thing. And we'll uncover what that other preceding thing is after the break. Hey, Explorers, it's Nick of Brett and Nick, and that's Brett of Brett and Nick. Bonjour. Anyway, we're really excited to be back for season four of Where There's Smoke, and so we just wanted to give you a super quick rundown on what to expect moving forward, and then we're going to bring you a fan-favorite segment, Back from the Dead. We've been calling this new season the start of Where There's Smoke 2.0. Basically, our goal is to fulfill our original plan to become more than just a podcast. We really want to grow this into a community. We've got four lovely people who are helping us out. We can't wait for you to meet them in the future. 
But we want to encourage you to engage with the community on Facebook and to join our email list if you want to get resources, links, videos, digs, whatever from an episode. So those newsletters will come out every other week as well. So go to wherethersmoke.co for updates on that. Also, with WTS 2.0, we have a new production schedule. So new episodes of Where There's Smoke will appear in your podcast feed on the first and third Tuesdays of every month. So our next new episode will be October 3rd. And season four should run from now all the way through the end of May. So look forward to that. Lastly, for now, if you want to support the show, you want to support what we're doing here and growing this community, please share the show with your friends and colleagues. You could do that today would be amazing because we're launching again. If you haven't reviewed the show on iTunes, that helps a bunch. And you can always visit supportwts.com and just throw a couple bucks our way every month. That pays for our new website, the bandwidth, graphics. Oh, and of course, the BrettBot2000. Affirmative. But that's a conversation for another day. Now, Brett, you have a, a sort of new feature that's linked to WTS 2.0, right? Yes, I do. So we did do this segment once a long time ago, but now it will be a regular segment. And it is linked to not only WTS 2.0, but also this episode. The segment is called WTS Bumps, and it is all about us giving a bump, aka a promo, to an idea, product, or service that one of our explorers is working on. The hope is this will help your ideas make a bigger dent in the world. So our first WTS bump is from a longtime listener and a friend of the show, Kevin Tumlinson. Kevin is a writer. He's published over 40 books. Uh, these days, his genre is thrillers, a sort of Dan Brown style in his words. And in the past, he's also written many science fiction books. So we encourage you to check out Kevin's books. As well, we want to put a spotlight today on Kevin's other main project, which is the Wordslinger podcast, a podcast that Nick and I appeared on a while back, uh, actually our only appearance on a podcast together, I believe. The show is aimed mainly at authors, but certainly there is value for all creatives. It is incredibly well produced and respected, and we wanted to help Kevin expand his already significant audience. So here is Kevin in his words in less than 60 seconds. Well, I'm Kevin Tomlinson. I'm a best-selling and award-winning thriller author and the host of the popular Wordslinger podcast. It's my stated mission statement, the one I read on air and the one I repeat to people uh, who look at me oddly on the street, is my mission is to craft stories that inform and inspire, educate, and entertain. The whole point of, of the Wordslinger podcast is for me to have a, I tell them this before each call, uh, that, you know, it's just me and you having a phone call with like 35,000 eavesdroppers. The idea is um, to provide that inspiration, you know, to say this person accomplished this much in their career, in their life, and this is how they did it. You know, honestly, I get emails and phone calls and, you know, voicemails all the time from people who, who just love the format and love what they're getting out of it. And that's, that was all I ever wanted. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Kevin. And that is our first WTS bumps of WTS 2.0. Please go check out Kevin's work. We remember talking to him years ago. Now there will also be links to his stuff in our show notes on the episode description on the app. You can go to facebook.com slash explore WTS. And if you are working on something that you would like us to give a bump, then leave us a message on our voicemail at wherethersmoke.co and just tell us about it in less than 60 seconds, please. <laughs> All right, let's get back to the show. It's so easy to think about what's wrong and so much more helpful to look at people who are actually solving the problem. In her book, Nilifer writes, at the intersection of power and opportunity, 
lies loneliness. The question is, what will we do about it? What can we do? Immediately following our interview, after the microphones were off, I expressed some of my fear and frustration about the world to Nilifer. Our conversation was replaying in my head. 61% of us uh, belong in some hobbled kind of way. And I started the story and I said, okay, tell me from where it's starting. But in all the 300 stories that I got, how do you start to pull on a thread that pulls you into the larger fabric? And what do we do when so many in power are not interested in solving the world's problems because they are currently profiting so much from the fact that these problems exist? Whether that profit is in the form of money or power or influence or ego. Nilifer paused and then she said to me, but that's also where the hope resides, right? And like that, she's gone. I mean, she just went to another meeting. She's fine. I mean, I saw her an hour later at the Q&A. I mean, but, you know, that was the last thing she said to me before she left. And that question rattled around my brain. But that's also where the hope resides, right? The hope, the hope. And so I hit record on my iPhone to talk it out with myself. I can hate so much how, how these people can, can not want all of us to be happy, cannot want everyone to strive, that they, they so need to feel like they're better than other people, or they so need to have more than other people, they so need to be in control that, that, they, that they will push people down. Trying to convince myself that I understood what she said or believed it in that moment. But as it turns out, that was not the case. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around it. And in those moments where I could just get mad and angry and frustrated, <coughs> that in that is also the hope. The hope that... The hope that I... In there is the hope. How is there the hope? <laughs> God, I need to ask her now. I want to know. Fortunately, I had another chance to ask her about an hour later during the Q&A after her talk. And I said, that's, that's frustrating. And you said to me, well, but that's also the hope, isn't it? And that was the last thing you said because then I had, you, know, you had another meeting and I walked away. And for the last hour, I've been, I've been trying to convince myself that's the hope. So I guess my question is to you is when you see that going on, that's going on, when you say that's the hope, what do you mean by that and where do you see the hope? That is such a good question. Um, it's so easy to think about what's wrong. It's so much more helpful to look at people who are actually solving the problem. So if you just think about where I'm coming from, I am, the, this has been a four year long, literally nose pressed up against the glass of looking at story after story of story of people making change from a local perspective. And so what I'll tell you is, I've only seen people do this for the last four years. And that's what gives me hope. And I think when we center our eyes on what will work, what can work, and we start working on it, is how we actually create the change. 
Hope has to exist before change can. And action, of course, has to come with the hope. If we just shake our fist at how things are, things stay the same. But if we act on what we believe is possible, that's how we will go in them. If we act on what we believe is possible, that's how we will go invent the future. So what really stops us then? In the first act, we talked about confidence, clarity, courage, and taking action. But there is a key element in the fruition of an idea that Nilifer uncovered through all these case studies. And while we talked about it in our interview, I feel like her phrasing of it on The Good Life Project better serves the message. The reason that we don't all bring our best ideas to bear is because we haven't found a safe enough place to take that risk. So it's not the fact that we're not bold enough. It's the fact that our group, the context in which we're in, does not make it safe enough to bring our best ideas. So it's not boldness, it's belonging that limits how much we can actually bring our best idea to bear. And just think about any situation you've been in where you're like, Belonging. Belonging to the power of onlyness is like a gateway to claiming one's idea, spreading it, and galvanizing others around it. There's a reason why we walk away from our own ideas, and it's not because we want to. Uh, it's because, you know, in that hierarchy of Maslow's needs, yeah. there's the bottom tiers, which are like food and shelter stuff, and then there's the top tiers, which are like self-expression and self-actualization. And in the middle is this gateway that I really didn't give credence to before. And that gateway is belonging. And so basically you cannot go up to that higher level of expressing your own desires and wishes for the world and dreams until you also belong to a community. And so for a lot of us who, be who belong in a, in a contorted way, we fit ourselves into some box uh, in order to find a place to work or whatever, and we give up part of our ideas in that process, we're not gonna be able to show up fully and we're not going to therefore bring our best ideas to work or to our communities or to our own lives. And that, that thing, that understanding that belonging was the piece that was missing, changes the answer, changes what we all do as a result. In some ways, this goes back to our Let's Build Environment episode. You are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. Why? This is one of those reasons because the people you surround yourself with end up being fertile soil for your ideas to truly grow and blossom or barren soil where they die. For us to thrive, we have to be in a room full of at least 30% difference. So we can't be, as, if it's lower than that number, what ends up happening is people notice our otherness, not our onlyness. So they'll notice, like, you know, I'll use a personal example. They'll notice that I'm the only woman in a corporate boardroom. Uh, and then they'll say, oh, that's such an unusual take, Nilifer. And even though my contribution's coming from the fact that I've shipped a bunch of products and created a bunch of revenue for companies, they're noticing the outward appearance of me and the otherness that I'm a woman in that room wow, and not my onlyness, right? And so 30% turns out to be the threshold at which everyone's, if you want to call it weirdness, wildness, uh, onlyness, uh, is actually able to be more seen. If you are looked at as an other and not as an only, the danger is not just that you may not be seen by them, but that you are more likely to conform, to fit in, to adapt to the context you're in rather than dented to reflect your own ideas. And that is not belonging. 
In fact, as Brene Brown puts it, fitting in is the greatest barrier to belonging. I was so shocked to learn in the research that the opposite of belonging is fitting in. Because fitting in is assessing a group of people and thinking, who do I need to be? What do I need to say? What do I need to wear? How do I need to act? And changing who you are. And true belonging never asks us to change who we are. It demands that we be who we are. Because if we, if we, be, if we fit in, because how we've changed ourselves, that's not belonging. That's not belonging because you betrayed yourself for other people. Mm. And that's not sustainable. And so we need to find our people. Or in Nilifer's words, how do you find the other people who give a shit about the same thing? Yeah. We must not deny the power of us because together we are stronger. Remember, onlyness is the connected you. Now, as I was writing this script, I had this itch in the back of my memory of an example from a movie or a book where a group of people had a problem. They tried to solve it individually and then discovered that they could only literally do it together. But I couldn't place the memory. So I asked our listeners through social media to give me ideas. And plenty came my way, uh, including Ocean's Eleven, The Goonies, Toy Story, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and of course, Voltron. But none of those were really what I was looking for in this case. But a few people insisted that I had to see the remake of Stephen King's It. That that is the message of the movie. And so I rearranged my whole schedule that day to see it. Get it? To, to see it? You suck. Well, anyway, <laughs> those people who suggested the movie did not steer me wrong or all of us, as here we are. In the new movie adaptation of Stephen King's It, our protagonist kids realize that what Pennywise the Dancing Clown is trying to do is divide them. This is what it wants. It wants to divide us. We were all together when we heard it. That's why we're still alive, yeah? Like Pennywise, evil in the world is trying to divide us. Because when it does, it can keep us from sharing our ideas and making a dent. It can make us feel powerless. But when we work together, Mike. when we stay together, when we recognize that we are not only all in this together, but that we all must be in this together, then we have a chance to win. Stan, we all have to go. That, that, that really was right. If we split up that last time, that clown will kill us one by one. But if we stick, stick together, all of us will win. I promise. When we started WTS, the main goal was to build a community. And today we feel a stronger commitment to that than ever. And in many ways, onlyness will be weaving its way throughout this season. That is what Where There's Smoke 2.0 is all about. 
galvanizing our onlyness, becoming a fertile soil for ideas and for those who want to change themselves and change the world. That's the mission wrapped in a podcast, wrapped in a vest. Which brings us back to Alvin Lee, who passed away in 2013. Perhaps he was still frustrated that he couldn't change the world. And if so, then I say to Alvin, wherever he is, you were wrong, sir. You did change the world. You did make a dent. You put music out there for the world to hear, and you invited us to change the world. And that is a dent, a big one. And so, while this episode is ending, the rest of our journey is just beginning. Let's leave here with the same five-word call to action that ends the power of loneliness. Let's go dent the world. I want to say a huge thanks to Nilifer Merchant for taking the time to meet with me in person to record this episode, and also for being so accessible on the back end with any questions I had. I cannot recommend her new book enough. This show barely scratches the surface, and so much of the power of this book is in the nearly 30 case studies she shares throughout. Do yourself and your ideas a favor and go pick up a copy of The Power of Onlyness book. You can also go to nilifermerchant.com where you will find links to her other books, essays, and her TED Talk. You can also follow her on Facebook and Instagram and on Twitter where she is at Nilifer. That's N-I-L-O-F-E-R. Hey everybody, welcome to WTS Digs. Of course, this is the part of the show where we share the things that we love and like, the things that are inspiring us, the things that are keeping us from going crazy, all of those wonderful things. Brett, welcome back to Digs. Uh, Thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah, are you digging anything this week? Well, you know, I am digging a few things. Um, I actually posted some digs in the last week on our social media. I might point people to a tweet I put out on September 16th about a movie called What Will People Say? I saw it at TIFF. You know, I saw a lot of movies at TIFF this year. Some people don't great. know what TIFF is. Toronto International Film Festival. Fair enough. Uh, also, probably my favorite thing in the universe in as long as I can remember, I posted it on Facebook on September 13th. Check out our Facebook page. Sloane Stevens interview clip after she won the US Open. Pretty much my favorite thing ever right now. So uh, you'll you'll have to, I, by the look on your face, Nick. I I'm would say you I, have to go. I remember. To I remember. I feel like I do, but I can't. Place and take it. a look at it. All right. But all that said, Nick, instead of going in depth to a dig here, I thought in the spirit of WTS 2.0, I thought we should bring in one of our team members to do a dig. And lurking in the shadows here is Kristen McMullen, I believe. I Kristen. am. I'm lurking. How did you? you how did you get in here without <laughs> without going Some, through security? I don't. I don't know what happened. I just got lucky. <laughs> So, well, Kristen, you've you've heard this segment enough. Hopefully, you kind of yeah, understand how this goes. Well, I, I feel like we should so, say like what Kristen's been up to and who she is. People know who we well, are. Kristen is the Jill of all trades, the glue that keeps it all together. See, nice. Kristen. Yeah, I guess we don't actually have like an official term for me. 
So for now, Jill of all trades works. Brett and I don't have official terms. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, well, eh, good point. So, Kristen, what are you digging? Okay. So, I I take my dog for lots of walks, and when I walk around my community, um, I just I live in this really idyllic neighborhood, and everybody's you, you see people. Oh, hey there, Billy Bob. Oh, hey Susan. Oh, yeah. And as I'm walking around, what is this crowd of people standing over in the park beyond the park? And I'm trying to figure out what they're doing. And they're by this like little, it looks like a giant birdhouse. And it turns out it's this little itty bitty library. And as I walk, oh. <laughs> I know Nick's making this face no, like, yeah, what yeah. is she talking about? Oh yeah. And I keep walking around and there's like five more of them as I do my walk. And so I look closer and that's, that's actually what it's called, the free the Little Free Library, and there's a website, uh, littlefreelibrary.org. And I just think they're super cool because I've seen all these people, parents and kids, hanging around these little libraries and grabbing books and talking and making new friends. And I've seen adults doing the same thing. So in the spirit of where there's smoke and community and all of that, they've just been making me really happy. Plus, I feel like there's maybe like a dating application there. <laughs> You know, oh. if one of them's maybe full of like romance novels or. <laughs> well, I feel like maybe there's a future where there's smoke segment coming up where you investigate what community, <laughs> what libraries do. So, what? so Kristen, you, you live in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. I live in, I live so in Cochrane, Alberta. Okay. Canada. Right. Tech, okay. So they're outside of Calgary. Yeah. So is this like a local thing or is it a Canada wide thing? Or no, like, do these dude. exist anywhere else? I think they kind of exist everywhere. I've you can seen go- a couple in my life. Have I've you? been around yeah. people. They're really adorable and like um, enticing. You want to go check the, check them out. And then I think there's even a way to kind of track where the books have gone as yeah. you've traded them. Um, but yeah, they're like prefab. You go to the website, you can order them different, different looks and styles. You can paint them however you want and put them up on your front lawn. And then you just have this little library right there for the whole community to access. What's that it's website so cool. again? I really like that. It is. Give me two seconds littlefreelibrary.org all right well of course we'll have that Very in cool. the show notes of yeah. course yeah all right nicholas i know you're never really digging anything but i don't know maybe there was something sure. one thing maybe you were digging well i mean the rule is that i'm definitely not digging a book that's like apparently a rule <laughs> i just it's a rule not really i just never seem to that's like it's oh. more like a shame that i wear around my neck all the time uh but it's crazy it's crazy world out there everybody and i'm I'm late to this, but it has been the thing that has been so nice for me is I watched the first available season. It's not the actual first season, but the first season of The Great British Bake Off on Netflix. And what's so great about it is that it is a show, especially the first season that's on Netflix. It's a show that is so just sweet. All these British people and they're just... (laughs) They're not professionals. They're just amateurs. And there's like a baking culture in, in, in the UK and they bake their things and they like kind of feel good or bad. No one's crying. There's not a lot of drama. There's no smash cuts. There's no broken dishes. There's no whatever. It just feels so nice and everyone's so supportive. Later seasons I've watched so far actually get a little upsetting. But just to sit down and watch delicious looking things with very lovely people, that you, the, the Great British Bake Off, the first season specifically, it's on Netflix for those of us in the States. Um, that's my, that's my dig. All right. So there you have it. That's what we're digging. 
And as always, we want to hear from you guys. What are you digging? So again, hit us up on Twitter at ExplorerWTS. Hit us up on Facebook. Email us, connect at wherethesmoke.co. Let us know what you're digging and uh, we will share it. And actually, Nick's pointing his finger up because I think he's going to say what I was going to say, but I'll let you say it. Well, uh, we, we want to put you on the show. Is that what you're going to yes. say? Yes. Yes. That is what I was going to say. <laughs> All right. We well, that's it. That's the, that's the end of it. So I let us know it. what you're digging. Uh, you could even leave us a voicemail at wherethesmoke.co and maybe we'll use that or we'll just call you up one day and say, hey, guess what? You're on WTS Digs. Who knows? All right. That's all, guys. Kristen, thank you. First appearance. Thank you. Love thank it. You. And with that, we are off. Thanks. That's my catchphrase. I know. <laughs> that's why I stayed silent. Yeah. I, can't, I can't go after it. Thanks. Welcome to the credits. Nice to have you back. Now, normally this would be the part where I give shout outs to some of our incredible listeners who are spreading the WTS word on social media and or interacting with us through email and messages. However, we just came back, so we haven't been giving you guys too much to talk about. However, hopefully this show has given you something to talk about. If that is the case, please share it online or through word of mouth and help others hear it. And if you have comments or questions for us, reach out. We are Explore WTS on Facebook and Twitter with Instagram coming soon. You can also leave us a voicemail on our website, wherethersmoke.co, or email us, connect at wherethersmoke.co. And if you do any of those things, I may very well be shouting you out here after the next episode. Now, I know you'll do it out of love and care and not for the acknowledgement, but I'll acknowledge you anyways because I love and care about you. Where There's Smoke is written and produced by me, Brett Guida, and Nick Jaworski, and we now have an incredible team currently made up of Dylan Davis, Damian McGee, Kristen McMullen, and Teresa Ward. Each week, we muster up courage, claim ideas, connect, galvanize, fully express, take action, hunt killer clowns, and fertilize the soil in an effort to design the very best show for you, the listener. If you have a podcast or even just a podcast idea and you want to make it sound awesome, check out Nick's company at podcastmonster.com. And if you're interested in having me speak or train at an event or within your company, go to brettguider.com and reach out to have a conversation with me. Our podcast cover was designed by Sam Goff with the season four remix of the cover by Ricky Rowe at Alchemist Creative. The WTS theme song was written and recorded by Des McKinney and remixed by Nick Jaworski. Speaking of music, Nick, what other artists were featured in this show? This week we have music from Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, Chris Zabriskie, Kai Engel, Lee Rosevere, Scott Gratton. The music from Usual Suspects was composed by John Ottman. We have, of course, 10 Years After with guitarist Alvin Lee and our friend, although we've never actually met him, Kevin McLeod. Please, 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 if you have not reviewed the show on iTunes, consider doing that. Your words help raise the visibility for the show and will make an extra big impact with the launch of our new season on iTunes. And if you think our little show is helping you and others make a dent in the world and you want to support our mission, please go to supportwts.com to see how you can do that. And lastly, know that we are all in this together and we've got your back, even if it gets a little messy. I told you, Bill. I fucking told you. I don't want to die. It's your fault. You punched me in the face. You made me walk through water. You brought me to a crackhead house. And now, I'm gonna have to kill the clown. Welcome to the Losers Club. Thanks for listening. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bup, bup, bup. We're not doing next week. We're doing every first and third Tuesday now, right? Uh, yes. Excellent point, Nick. We'll see you next time. Yes. <laughs>